0: I graduated from uh, Michigan State in 1970 uh with a business degree and uh I um began working uh soon after that. Uh back then there was a lottery for the draft and that year uh, my lottery number was 112. By May they were at 109, so I was pretty sure I was I knew who my next employer was going to be. But uh, they stopped at 109, and I didn't go in. And then I had—I uh, I really wasn't interviewing much because I didn't think I needed to. And uh, I grew up in Ypsilanti. Uh, my dad was the manager of a Grinnell piano store, and uh, we lived probably two or three blocks from Eastern's campus. And Michigan's uh, marching band used to practice uh, within ear of. Uh, <laughs> of my house. And, you know, it was really hard for me to root for Michigan State for about two weeks. And then it, I adjusted pretty well.
1: And let me ask you, so coming out of high school, why was MSU the place for you?
0: Um, I applied uh, to three schools. Uh, I was accepted at uh, Michigan and Michigan State, but I didn't want to live at home. And uh, I got a, a small scholarship at Michigan State and Uh, I'd gone up there, Uh, my uncle was the business manager of athletics at Notre Dame for 40 years, and he could get tickets to any game, and so my first college games were in East Lansing.
1: So tell me a little bit how your time there impacted you, maybe still does, and sort of set you on your course, you know, in adulthood and your career.
0: Well, the uh, first uh, semester or two were very difficult. I was very homesick. Um, I it was you know, more than just uh an academic uh, transition it was an emotional one and uh, i was the oldest of seven kids and I, you know i missed my siblings and i think they missed me a lot so so that was kind of a, an adjustment but um after the first year that changed and i n- knew a lot more people and had had a couple of jobs on campus and i just became a lot more familiar and then as you know i would go to class uh i just absolutely loved the environment and you know i just felt like i was in a paradise uh even in the winter because uh, you know it can be very beautiful then too so so i think the physical surrounding and uh when i started john hanna was the president and uh the second year, I think, uh, no, he was the president until 68, and then Walter Adams was president for, like, an interim year. Both I uh, had great admiration for, and I thought they were great leaders, and uh, the, the school seemed to, you know, function pretty well.
1: So tell me, how do you get into the investment industry then, from which you've been <clears throat> in your whole career?
0: I uh, I sold copying machines door to door for two years, which uh, seems like an unlikely beginning, but it was uh, it was very hard, and but I learned a lot, and I learned that I could talk to people. And uh, when I was finished with that, I, I didn't want to pursue that too much longer. My wife was a buyer at Hudson's, and she said, "You know, why don't you just stop working, find the job that you want to find." We make enough money on my salary, uh, which I had been saving all of mine anyway. And so I started uh, talking to banks, and uh, there were several that were interested. Uh, Probably the one that was most interested was National Bank of Detroit. And I met a guy named Earl Blinn there and liked him, and we had three or four interviews, and I was certain they were going to offer me a job. And after the last meeting, uh, he took me to a branch and showed me what I would be doing there. And then I didn't hear from him again for a week, and I thought, well, that is strange. So I called him, and I said, you know, Earl, I really thought, you know, we had a pretty good dialogue going and that you were interested. And he said, um, are you uh, free this afternoon? I said, yeah. He says, why don't you come into my office? And so I went in there, and he said, uh, you know, you were qualified. We, you know, could have hired you, but... I saw you uh, look over what you'd be doing and I knew what your selling background was and I said you'd be bored in two weeks in this job. And so it wasn't a very good fit for you. And I think if you pursue something that has a little bit more sales in it with the financial background you have, I think that might be a better fit. So I started interviewing with brokerage firms and uh, that's, uh, that's how it got started. Tell me
1: how you then start your own company and the significance of the name.
0: Well, I worked for a, uh, my first job in the brokerage business was uh, with a company called Walston, a fairly small firm, uh, I think seventh or eighth largest. Uh, six months later, they merged with DuPont, which was owned by Ross Perot. Six months after that, they went bankrupt and Reynolds Securities bought the office. Then Dean Witter bought Rental's and then Sears bought Dean Witter. So, all of these were in the same office. They just changed the screw holes in the door. And uh, I I worked for a great manager. I learned a lot from him. Uh, He had me uh, manage uh, the Dearborn office for about six years. But uh, one of the conflicts I had was that uh, we were encouraged to sell products that had the highest commission. And, you know, I knew weren't necessarily the best thing. And uh, so I just thought, you know, I really think there's a better way to do this. And after a couple of years, I realized that I could start a company. And uh, I had a, a fellow working for me who knew a lot more about the technology than I did. And that would have been a roadblock if I had done that on my own. So he helped with that. And, uh, you know, when the the name uh, came about, because I didn't want it to be named after me. I wanted to find a name that represented uh, the values and the culture that we were hoping to, uh, to, to build, and so white pine, uh, was Michigan State tree, it's a fast-growing tree, when, uh, you know, there's a a storm, there might be a branch or two that gets whacked off, and it even gives it more character after that happens, and, uh, but it's it's also, you know, pretty disease resistant and it withstands uh, an awful lot of turmoil which you have to do in this business.
1: Tell me a little bit more about like the actual being a student at MSU kind of prepared you for your career.
0: To be honest with you, I probably learned a lot more outside the classroom than I did in. I was a mediocre student. I, you know, struggled in some areas. There was, I was, you know, pretty good in others, but you know, I really uh, didn't uh, uh, probably apply myself like I should have. I I, I loved a lot of the classes. Uh, I, I had a fair amount of econ, and the upper-level econ classes I liked a lot. Um, I was in Walter Adams's class.
1: One more kind of question on your business, just to tap your expertise, and I know you could probably hold a conference on this, but how has... The investment world evolved over the years. What are some of the challenges and opportunities you and your clients deal with today, and are they different?
0: They're quite different. I think uh, there is a lot more uh, mechanical nature to the business today. There's uh, a lot of stuff is just done by programming. Uh, there's not as much. Uh, I, I don't think individual stock selection as there was when I started. Frankly, I probably took a lot more risk when I was younger just because I didn't know any better. I probably wasn't as diversified as I should have been. However, I I, uh, I did have a pretty contrarian way of looking at things, so I was comfortable buying stuff that nobody else wanted. And when everybody liked it, I really uh, was ready to get out of it. And I had you know a, a fair amount of success uh, with that. But I realized that... Uh, to handle a much larger clientele and really to do it effectively for the people we already had, I needed to uh, develop some other habits that were uh, healthy. Before I left Morgan Stanley, which was the last brokerage firm I uh, worked for, um, I um, wanted my clients to uh, develop a, a, a fee structure so they would just pay for, uh, you know, based on the assets that we handled. Uh, it was more expensive for them to do that, but I explained to them that you know it would eliminate one of the com- uh, conflicts that I think exist in this business. And that was a, a great help because all the people that did that, when, when I was ready to leave, uh, they uh, w- were already used to that mindset, and I, could, I cut their fee in half when we did it. So it was pretty easy to get people to transfer at that point. But uh, I think fee-based, uh, much uh, wider diversification, um, you know, or uh, all things that have changed over the years. Um, we don't trade very often. We probably have a five or ten percent turnover a year in the portfolio, if that. And so we're we're really focused on doing things that we would normally do ourselves. And we own the same portfolio our clients owns. We pay the same fee structure. Uh, So when we make a decision to do something, it's because we think, we really do think it's the right thing to do or we wouldn't do it ourselves.
1: So, Russ, why are you so passionate about giving back to MSU?
0: I became a Christian uh, about 20, a little over 25 years ago. And um, when when I was prior to that, uh, there was a show on uh, Wall Street we called, or Call Wall Street Week on Friday nights. Louis Rukeyser was the host, and he would have various guests on there, and one of the guests was John Templeton. John Templeton ran a mutual fund that averaged 14% a year for about 40 years. He's a phenomenally talented investor. And at the end of the show, uh, uh, Louis Rukeyser said, you know, uh, John, I'd like to ask you something I've never asked you before. Um, if if you could tell the, your audience, uh, you know, what is the greatest investment you've ever made? What would what would you say? He says, "Well, Louis, that's pretty easy." He said, "The greatest investment for me was the day I decided to tithe." And Lewis, Rook, he had no, he didn't know what to say. Uh, this is an awkward moment for him, but I kind of understood it, and then I, you know, just started doing that, and. Then the the gift recipients just expanded as I found things that I thought were valuable and worth investing in. But but probably most of the giving I do is is uh, to toward you know Christ-based causes.
1: Why MSU though? You give your time, <clears throat> your talent, and your treasure. Why is why are you moved to do that so much?
0: In hindsight, I, I realized going to Michigan State really fit my personality more than. Uh, you know, a f- more famous uh, a school, more than Ann Arbor, uh, because it focused on just normal people and people that maybe would never have a chance to go to school. And they personify that uh, by also going back into the community and where can we, uh, you know, apply and help people that are living there right now. So there's a project uh, that. You know, I've been supporting for probably, I don't know, six or seven, eight years. And it's taken a while to get started, but it's uh, ramping up now. And it's an urban garden uh, on the west side of Detroit, about four blocks from where I lived right after I got married. I just thought, well, this would be great. And there was a elementary school there. A lot of soil remediation had to be done but uh there's a fellow named Naim Edwards that uh is kind of in charge of that project and I've gotten to know him and I just feel like you know that's uh another s- staple of Michigan state's uh, culture that you know it it isn't isn't just in the classroom it's like in a lot of different areas
1: where did this love for horticulture and agriculture come from?
0: I did a lot of uh, you know, lawn mowing and stuff like that when I was growing up, and, and and I worked at a golf course. I was a caddy, and I absolutely loved the way golf courses looked. So, so I just had a, a you know great appreciation for God's creation, and but I didn't know anything about it when I graduated from Michigan State, and. Uh, after we, you know, moved, uh, our, our last move was to Plymouth uh, in the mid-'80s, and I said, you know, I really don't know anything about this stuff, and I really need to start learning. And we had about, you know, a little more than a half an acre that was mostly grass, and by the time I moved uh, four years ago, uh, the, most of the grass was <laughs> gone. And But I, I'd created a lot of work for me because it was hard to maintain all that.
1: When did you decide to do the Master Gardener program somewhere in there? And <clears throat> imagine that was impactful. It, it People seemed to really enjoy that program.
0: So that was in the late 90s, and um, it was, a, I think it was a 10-week uh, class, and we met four for four hours, you know, once a week until it was over. And then you also give back 40 hours of volunteer time after you're done with the class defining moment in that class uh, was probably about halfway through. It was February. I love Michigan State basketball games, and there was a game on that night, and I thought, and it was snowing, and I thought, gosh, I, I don't really feel like going to this class, and it, and it was on soil. Dean Krofskopf was the teacher, and I thought, oh, gosh, this has got to be the most boring thing that I can possibly go to, And I, but I went when he got there he's talking in an auditorium style but he's up on the stage and there's a blackboard up there and he said you know we're going to be talking about what I believe is the most important element of gardening that you can possibly learn and it's about soil and how important it is Uh, he says but you might have some questions about ahead of time there are a lot of landscape people and you know garden business owners there and So he started writing down all these things they wanted to talk about and he probably wrote down 20 things. And then he gets off the stage and the lecture starts and uh, in four hours, uh, you know, uh, with about five minutes to ten when the class was over, he had checked off the last thing up there and it was the most fascinating lecture I've ever heard. (laughs) And it it totally changed my perspective and then then I really started learning what to do and became a little more successful at it. Probably the most important thing that uh, happened, uh, you know, is when I actually believed that Jesus was uh, the person that died for me and and uh, uh, it changed my whole perspective on life and I had a different focus. Uh, My wife and I were having an extremely difficult time uh, prior to that and After that, both of us, you know, started attending this Bible study called Bible Study Fellowship. There's over half a million people around the world that take this, and they all study the same thing, same time, and I still do that. It's uh, once a week and pretty uh, intense but very meaningful uh, experience, and and I... uh, Probably, uh, I didn't model that too well when I was in college. Uh, There were a lot of habits I had that were pretty unhealthy, and but now that's probably the most important thing in my life, and that doesn't show up in too many bios or interviews. So thanks for asking.
1: How does your desire to give back go hand in hand with helping people raise their their own fortunes, so maybe they can give back too? Is there something where that? goes in hand in hand if there's a, I'm not sure there's a question in there, but I'm just wondering how your desire to give back sort of complements the work you do for yourself and others.
0: Well, I think uh, it's uh, kind of the way God wired me and uh, when I was growing up, uh, I got a paper out when I was nine and I had three or four jobs until I graduated from high school and I paid for all the college myself But during that time, you know, I would buy gifts for my siblings, and I think I got a lot more joy out of it than they did. It was just fun to do, and so I sort of got used to that. And uh, as my Christian walk grew, it just became apparent to me that you're really given all this to help others with it. It's not for you. I mean, you can enjoy some of it, and that's great, but... If it's all about you, then, uh, boy, you're not going to have a whole lot of impact on anybody.
1: Russ, one last thing, and it can be about investment banking, but maybe some of your advice for the young Spartans studying at MSU today.
0: Well, one uh, um, case study we have uh, at White Pine is the uh, case study of twins that each uh, had $10,000 to invest when they graduated from school. And... One of them decided that they would start investing most of that. They made an 8% return on it, and they did it for 10 years, and then they stopped. The other one decided, I'm going to have fun. I've been working hard in school, so I'm not going to invest any of it. I'll start later. So that other twin started 10 years when the other one stopped and did it for the rest of her life and never caught up with the first one. So my advice is, you know, just start saving as soon as you can. Make it regular. You have to do it where you don't think about it because otherwise it's not going to happen. And just let uh, compound interest take care of itself. It's staggering how much money will happen if you do that, and you won't even be inconvenienced by it because you'll be used to doing it. Uh, You know, every job experience that a student has is just an experiment. And it may be the right thing for you to do, it may be not. But God will show you at the right time, you know, the best plan. And you might not agree with that for a while, but in hindsight, you always look back and you say, gosh, whoever would have wanted a job selling copiers door to door. But it was the reason I got hired. It was the reason that I became successful and all these other things, because I wasn't afraid to talk to people that other people were afraid to talk to.